Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. You may be seated. Gospel of Mark, moving towards the end. And um, I'm actually stealing a little bit from the week before because, you know, Do you ever have just something grab your imagination and you're like, why is that? And in Mark chapter 14, you got got Jesus being betrayed and uh, they come with swords and all this stuff. And then one of the guys runs away naked. Why put that in the Bible, right? Why, Why mention the naked disciple? I mean, why? You know, I don't think it's like random. Oh, he was naked. Let's talk about him. You know, like, I don't think, oh, let's embarrass Joe. Mentioned he'll get preached on for the centuries, you know, eons. So I, I, I think there's something else. I think you're supposed to think of something when they mention it. Because if you remember, the Bible is full of tests in, by trees. The, the original uh, test was Adam and Eve, right? They had a test about a tree, and they failed, didn't they? And then what does it say happened to them? They were, let's see if I can make this work. They were naked and ashamed, right? And then their kids had a test. And here's the interesting thing. The word for tree is the same word for wood. So they have a test by a tree or wood, and they failed that test too, right? And Abel, which is, if you remember, it's the same word, habel, which is translated vanity in Ecclesiastes, because why? His life was short. Abel, short life, vanity, breath. And um, his brother ends up with a lot of shame. So then Jesus comes along, and he's in a garden with a test about a tree, and he passes it. Isn't that cool? Jesus is the only one that fully passed the test by the tree. Now, he prayed, Lord, Abba, Daddy, Father, uh, all, all things are possible. Remove this cup, but not what I will, but what you will. And so Jesus passes it, but his disciples fail it. Okay, here's the verse. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against, uh, oh, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching. You didn't seize me then, but let the scripture be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but they left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Underwear was not in vogue yet. And And I think you're supposed to read this and go, yeah, Jesus passed the test, but everybody else failed. And I think that's what he's saying. Another test in the garden that man failed, but Jesus actually passed it, right? Now, if you know anything about the cross, he bore all our shame on the cross, fully naked, back ripped open, maybe even his guts ripped open, but they experienced shame. The disciples, the followers experienced shame, and they failed. Now, if you know anything about the story, um, in the garden, what did God do with their nakedness? He killed an innocent animal. They didn't eat animals yet. 
And God took the life of an innocent animal. Sometimes I like to think a lamb. And he made clothing for them. And what is Jesus doing on the cross with our shame? Yeah, he's taking our shame and clothing us in righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Now, we still struggle, right? I mean, we still, anybody come to know the Lord and have this thought, God, why can't I just be perfect now? I mean, do you ever think about that? God wants us to be perfect, right? God wants us to strive to serve him and love him and love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anybody do that 100% of the time? So you're like, Lord, why don't you, why don't, if you want me to do it, just make, like, make that happen all the time, right? I mean, why didn't he make us like the angels, right? Not the fallen ones, but the good ones. Like, oh, and we can do his will. You know, I, uh, I believe that he did it this way for three reasons. And what, what is the way? You and I weren't made like the angels, but when you came to know the Lord, Jesus clothed you in his righteousness. Those who look to him, their faces are radiant, never covered with shame. Like, like we have this righteousness of God. But at the same time, you've got a sinner side, don't you? Right? The good you want to do, you don't do. The bad you don't want to do, you do. Does anybody relate to that? Yeah. And so you have this like thing going on inside of you. Now, I like to identify, and I think we should, wait, the, the true me is the one who delights in God's word and always wants to do it, but other stuff happens. I'm driving down the road. I made a dinner, and we, br- we brought it over to my dad's house. It was uh, Monday, and it's a 25, and I was doing 35. That's, this is, you know, it's, there aren't a lot of stop signs. There aren't a lot of houses on this road to begin with. And, but the guy's kind of broken down with his trailer, and it's dark. There aren't a lot of lights on that either. And as I pass him, he says, slow down, you. And it's like a two-syllable word where your body eliminates stuff, you know. And, uh, and my first response was, oh, I should have loved and cared for him. Right? You want to know what my inner thought was? I'm backing up, and I'm going to punch that guy in the face, right? You know, you know what I mean? Like, like I, this horrible thing. Like, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. This is going to be so much fun being with my dad and my mother-in-law and my wife. And then all of a sudden, wh- where did that come from? Yeah. Not I, but sin living in me, right? And there it is. Now, I thought about it for a while and thought, Lord, wouldn't it be great if I did back up and said, you know, you're right. I am a blank, blank, Right? And I'm sorry for going quickly, speeding, you know, 10 miles over the speed limit. And I, think, I think he probably would have been like, what? Right? Who is this guy? You know? uh, but see, we're, we're sinner saint at the same time. You know, what good could ever come out of that? Well, I think there's a lot of good. I, I love John Newton. He's the one who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Gordon. I once was... No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I used to stand by a buddy in church, and we would sing this song, and we'd go, that saved a wretch like you, right? You know, um, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know, sometimes if you listen to TV shows where they'll sing this or award shows, they take the word wretch out. Save someone like me. No, you're a wretch. Admit it, right? And so he wrote this, but you know what he said? He said, there are three good things why God kept us with our sinful nature. And one, it keeps us humble, right? I mean, when you're, when you're doing good, you typically are judgmental, 
But if you know you're a sinner saved by grace, you look out at the world, people who aren't believers, people who don't walk or live like you live, and you go, Lord, I am no better than them, right? And Lord, I know that I am simul justus et peccator. I am simultaneously righteous and a sinner. And I need today for you to lead me out of temptation and deliver me from evil. Do you pray that? I mean, I think the church should cry. I I don't think it's prayed enough. Or if you pray it, do you think about it? Because if God said, this is how you pray, and it's not part of your prayer life, we need to have that shepherd lead and deliver. And it takes a humble heart to admit it. Today, Lord, there's bear traps in the woods, and I will put my feet in them. Lead me away from those, right? So one of the beauty of that is it keeps us humble, right? We're not like, oh, I'm smarter than you. I'm prettier than you. I'm better than you. Oh, you're not righteous. I'm right. No, it, it, keeps us, it keeps us humble. I think the second thing, it keeps us relishing in the gospel, right? There's so many things to delight in, right? But we can relish in the gospel. Here's a trustworthy saying worth full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul wrote that, but I'm worse than him, right? <laughs> right? No, I'm a worse sinner than you. No, I'm a worse sinner than you, right? Like, it, we relish in the beauty of the gospel. Like, there's lots of things we relish in, right? Like, Thanksgiving's coming, and I relish in Thanksgiving, right? Some of you guys have two Thanksgivings, right? I remember in high school, I was dating somebody, and you'd have to eat one Thanksgiving and then you'd go over to your girlfriend's house and have to do it again. You know, it's like, whoa. But, you know, they didn't want to see you not eating much. So you just had to stuff it in, you know. And I relished in it. I really did. Um, but, you know, do you ever think about people who have memories of Thanksgiving, but now maybe their family's gone or something's happened? How do they find joy in Thanksgiving? I think... They have something to relish in, even if they don't have Thanksgiving like they'd like it to be, right? Because you and I, every day, can relish in the gospel, right? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were sinners. Like, we can relish in the gospel. So... um, It keeps us humble, right? Our sinful side keeps us humble, right? It keeps us relishing in the gospel, right? Because if you know you're a sinner, you know you need a savior every day. And lastly, it keeps us longing for home because someday it'll be perfect. There won't be wars in the Middle East, right? There won't be fighting. You You know, it was so funny. Years ago, a lot of people settled stuff with fighting. Like Abraham Lincoln was a good fighter, I was watching um, the Disney something or other, and I watched this, this show that used to be on like years and years ago on like the Mouseketeer Club or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who's the leader of the club that's made for you and me, right? And they had this thing called Spin and Marty. And it, yeah, some of you older people remember Spin and Marty. Well, guess what? These two boys got in a little bit of a thing. They put boxing mitts on them and let them duke it out. When's the last time you saw a TV show where, like, teenagers, oh, you, you, you're, you're a little bit of fight? Okay, here, we'll, we'll have a ring, we'll put mitts. Go ahead, fight, and who's ever stronger, you win, right? I'm like, they never do that today, right? Fighting and wars and dissension and all kinds of stuff, no more. 
And we're like, Lord, I long for that day where harmony reigns. Well, the scripture uh, happens in Mark 15, and it begins like this. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, as if Jesus was going to like run away, right? And, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this is a trick question, right? It's kind of like this. Do you still beat your wife? Right? How do you answer that? No. Oh, that means you used to beat her, right? Or yes, that means you still beat her. Like they, 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 they're really, and this is the kind of question they're asking Jesus. Are you king of the Jews? Because the um, Jewish people, they want to put him to death for blasphemy. But they know that the Romans will not put him to death for blasphemy. So they're like, oh, he said he's king. It's treason. So if he says, yes, I'm king of the Jews, now he's guilty of treason, right? But if he doesn't say he's king of the Jews, he's lying. So it's, it's a trick question. It's a complicated question. So Jesus answers it this way. You said so, right? You said it, not, not me. In the other gospels, he then follows up with, and you'll see me coming again, Right? My kingdom is spiritual, not of this world. Well, the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. He's like, everybody that I've watched in these situations are always running their mouth and telling what, you know, what's going on. And Jesus just stood there and let him accuse him. It says, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they ask, and among the rebels in prison, whom had committed murder and insurrection. And there was a man called Barabbas, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did. So what's going on? So this time of year, Pilate's a criminal go free. So... I think Pilate was also in on this, and he's like, I am going to grab like a hated scoundrel. I mean, this guy was a known murderer and wanted to overthrow the Roman government. And I think he's like, hey, they're going to for sure say Jesus. Like, this guy's horrible. Now, you know what's kind of interesting? Barabbas means son of the father. Bar, son, Abba, daddy, father, right? And in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that his first name was Jesus, Jesus Barabbas. So you have Jesus, son of the father, and you have Jesus, son of the father. Isn't that interesting? You had two people there. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest delivered him up. Not a stupid guy, you know. He's like, sure, the people will, will go along with it and take Jesus. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas. I don't think this happened like instantly. I think this is like a more of a drawn out process. You know, um, in high school, we had these mock elections 
And, um, and they had, you know, candidates that were running and everything. But some of us of influence stirred up the crowd and we got the shop teacher elected as a write-in, right? And when I think of stirring up the crowd, because we just like went around and told everybody, right? That there were some people that were not happy that we actually got a write-in candidate to win, but we stirred up the crowd. We went around and when we got everybody to write in, you know, the shop teacher. Um, and I think this is what they did. They're like influencing the crowd and they're telling them, no, do, do we, Take Barabbas, not Jesus. So Pilate again says to them, what shall I do with the man called king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. In Matthew, he's, the crowd also yells, his blood be upon us and our children. Isn't that interesting? And, and so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas, son of the father, and having scourged Jesus. You know, we read that, and it's so easy, but the, the Jews stopped at 39 lashes, but the Romans didn't. And they had, like, glass and just stuff in the ends of their whips. And, and historians would tell us that the skin was ripped off the people's back and some people's bowels, because it would wrap around, were exposed with that kind of lashing. And it's no wonder Jesus had to have somebody help him carry the cross, right? And uh, he delivered him to be crucified. So Jesus is son of the father and Barabbas is son of the father. Now what you have here is like what this ritual pointed to all along. So once a year, the priests would get two goats and one goat would be slaughtered, and the blood would be on us and our people. But the other goat was a scapegoat. Two of the same. It's just so fascinating that the names are Jesus, son of the father, and Barabbas, right, son of the father. So you have these two goats, similar, identical goats. One, it's like a draw, right? So they draw straws or whatever, and one gets sacrificed. And the other, the priest lays both hands upon the head of the live goat and confesses over it all the iniquities and transgressions of Israel, whatever their sins, putting them on the head of the goat. It's like the sins were transferred both to the sacrifice goat and to this goat. And then it said it was sent off to the wilderness through a designated man. So you had a guy leading the goat out, the scapegoat. Thus the goat shall carry on it the iniquities to an inaccessible region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. The goat remains a sinner. The goat lives in the wilderness uh, full of sin. And I think the picture is that Jesus died for sinners. And there's this like substitution thing going on, right? Barabbas truly deserved to die. Jesus, innocent man, didn't deserve to die. And I think all of us, when we look at this, we need to be able to say, you know, I'm Barabbas. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just like Barabbas. Simo justus et peccator, right? You know, Jesus justified me, but he died for me. While you were sinners, Christ died, right? 
Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. It's like the check's been written. We cash it when we say, Lord, I believe in you, right? I believe in you. And Tim Keller said this. He said, if you look at what Jesus has done for you, I mean, if you really see it, it will change you. Did you ever want to love God more? Greg Laurie, did you guys see that movie? It's on like Netflix or one of these streaming things. What is it called? Like Jesus Revolution, maybe? Totally worth watch. Um, and this is, what, this is the guy who's a pastor that the movie is about. And uh, he said this, loving God more than anyone or anything else is the very foundation of being a disciple. If you want to live your Christian life to its fullest, then love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. So how do you increase your love for Jesus? I mean, did you ever ask yourself that question? Like, like how, do I, how do I love more? Jesus answered it. There was a woman, and she had lots of sins. And Jesus looks at the group and goes, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loves much, but to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. The more you know how much you're forgiven, the more you admit it before God, the more you look your sin in the face and go, you died for me, the more your heart will respond to him, right? You look at what Jesus has done for you. You see it, and the Holy Spirit can use that good news and can change you on the inside. Isn't that beautiful? He who's forgiven much loves much. You know, I was listening to this uh, podcast, Heavyweight, and um, it's about this guy. This particular one is a personal story about a guy who was uh, in landscaping, and he had an out-of-town job, he and his buddy or co-worker, and they're sharing a hotel room, and his buddy knew the area, was from the area where they were, and he invited a bunch of friends over. So a bunch of guys came over doing guy things, probably with alcohol, but one guy brought a gun, you know, just for fun. And, um, and, and one of the guys was kind of playing with it, and he dropped the, the thing, I don't have guns, so you know the thing that holds bullets, but he didn't clear the chamber. And, he, and the one guy, uh, Nick goes, don't point that. And the guy pulled the, and shot Nick, like, in the stomach. You can see where he was shot. And they're like, they're like, they had to call 911, right? Like, don't, just tell him you did it. Tell him you did it to yourself. We don't want to get in trouble. So he, he did it. He, he admitted that he, he did it. And later on, he was so angry with himself for taking the full blame and not going, no, this, these guys did it. You know, they should be responsible. Jesus is not angry that he took the blame. He's like, no, I bore your place on purpose because I love you. Well, the scripture goes on and says that the sixth hour had come and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, 
let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. Isn't this, though, how the movies go? Do you ever think of movies? Like, at this hour, this would be when, like, like movies start in summer, and everything's good, right? And then all of a sudden, it gets bad, right? It's the movie arc, right? Bad. And then it starts getting good again. So sometimes they dip again and up. But this is where you would expect Jesus, if you were a movie maker, just to come off the cross. I'll show you, right? I'll call down the angels. But he doesn't do it. Let's see if Elijah will take him down. And Jesus utters a loud cry and breathes his last breath. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this, saw in this way, he breathed his last breath, he died. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. What's the big deal about the veil? Why stick that in there? Oh, and the curtain was torn top to bottom. So when Herod's temple was rebuilt, it wasn't as good as the first temple, but he made it taller. It was a curtain that was 60 feet tall. And history tells us four inches thick. When they ransacked the temple in 70 AD, they took the curtain out. It's like, this is a great curtain, right? Four inches thick, 60 feet tall, ripped. But why mention it, right? What, what, you know, why mention the, the curtain? What's, I mean, what's that all about? Well, I think the temple is a picture of Eden, right? Eden, paradise, heaven, right? Heaven, in a sense, is back to the Garden of Eden, back to paradise. And, and what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They couldn't stay there, could they? They got kicked out. And it says, after he, God, drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden an angel, a cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And you can read about um, the temple and the curtain. And what's fascinating is they get kicked out, and then God calls this group of people out, and he goes, I want you to build me a mini paradise, a mini Garden of Eden. Because in the garden, that's where God's presence was. And in the tabernacle, God put his glory, his presence in the tabernacle. But he had an angel on the curtain because you couldn't go into the presence without sacrifice of blood, right? And then when the temple was built, it was the same thing. The curtain had this angel, and the thought was, you can't go in without sacrifice. And it was tons of sacrifice, right? You can't go in. And if you try it, the sword, the flaming sword will kill you. Look at Aaron had two boys. Now, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered the unauthorized fire before the Lord. So these guys, they don't go in with blood sacrifice. They go in with, oh, let's just offer God this good-smelling stuff. And what happens? A flame. A flame came out and killed them. the flaming sword of the cherubim. You can't come into the presence of God or the flaming sword will 
get you. But then Jesus dies on the cross. And what is happening here is he says, I will take the sword into my body. I will take the flaming sword into my body once for all. So heaven can now be, in a sense, on earth. So my presence can be with you. Isn't that beautiful? So no longer was God's presence just here. What did he say to his disciples? Wait for the Holy Spirit to come from on high. Yeah, he breathed on them, but then he said, wait. In a sense, God's saying, it's no longer the temple. You are the temple. Like, you carry the presence of God. We worship, and many times it's like, oh, God, thank you for your presence. Now, they didn't have that back then. But Jesus, because of his blood, made a way for us. Look how Hebrews describes it. Therefore, brothers, and I'll say sisters too, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. You want to know what the evil one will say to you? You can't draw near to God. You're not good enough. He doesn't say that. You're not good enough. It doesn't say anything about the confidence being placed in your own goodness, does it? Confidence because of the blood, because Jesus took the flaming sword. Having our hearts sprinkled, that would be with blood, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So the picture that came to my mind last night, God, like we're... We're distracted or we're afraid to come in. And parents and grandparents, remember when you're trying to teach a child and they're like standing and they've taken a few steps. Now you're putting them over there. Hopefully they don't hit their nose, right? And you're like, come on. And you're coaxing them. And I think sometimes that's how it is with us coming into the presence. We're like, but God, you don't know or I don't, you know. And, and he's like, no, no, just enter in. Enter in by faith. Come on, come on. You can have confidence, and I died so you can have confidence to enter the most holy of holies by the blood. Just come on. You can make it. And then the first convert, the first convert is this hardened soldier who has probably seen a lot of people die, and he watched Jesus die, and there was something about how he died that was different. And he says, truly, this man was a son of God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word and your truth. And I just pray that, that we could walk with you this week, that, that we could have hearts of thanksgiving, no matter what our circumstances is, that you'd renew our minds according to your word, that you'd be our best thought day and night, and that that gift would be given to your church and the community of hope. Jesus in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.